Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. ask you this what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you in public just think about that for just a second i won't i won't ask you to uh share out loud uh, or on the air this morning uh but i'm betting that something just came to mind most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in public now how public was that and would anybody else even recognize the event if we were to talk about it publicly um, would anybody else other than you actually like remember it? I I submit to you that the couple of most embarrassing moments that I have had in public in my life, I, I submit to you that nobody other than me even remembers them. Right? It's um it's 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 arrogant to imagine that other people even remember those things that were the most embarrassing moments in our lives. Um, so I bring to you this morning um, one really embarrassing moment that took place last night um, very publicly, and everyone who saw it will forever remember it. Um, Dr. Fauci threw out the first pitch last night in the delayed opening of the truncated Major League Baseball season, and um, he wore a mask on the mound in the middle of an empty field in an empty stadium. That struck a lot of people as a little odd. But worse, um, he can't actually throw a ball. Like, like I, I, there's no, um, there's no way to. Uh, it's not like he bounced it to the plate. It's not like he threw it and it sailed over the catcher's head. No, no, he can't throw a ball. Um, and and so, uh, I mean, I would describe the ball as moving on a almost indescribable trajectory from his hand up the first baseline instead of, you know, to the target. All right. So um, pretty embarrassing moment. Let me uh, let me suggest that as Christians, we not only need to have the grace to forgive. Right. And sometimes we need to have the. uh, The grace to remember things. um, Accurately versus remembering them the way they've been retold and retold and retold. So that might be a consideration today. And then let's talk about um, the redeeming of the most embarrassing moment. I mean, imagine for a moment that you were the woman who had been suffering for 12 years, this flow of blood. And your most embarrassing moment is certainly that where you are in public and everybody knows your shame. Everyone knows your disease. Everyone knows your distress. Um, People avoid you. Um, and Jesus redeems you. Or the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, and his most embarrassing moment is certainly that moment where he returns home. I mean, he's anticipating shame and guilt and rejection, but that is not what he experiences. 
I mean, he is redeemed fully. Um, And then when Jesus is on the cross and he sees his precious mother, Mary, and he looks at his disciple, John, and basically reintroduces the two, saying to his disciple, this is your mother, and saying to his mother, this is your son, and instructs John to take Mary into his home as his own, redeeming that moment. Because Mary's most embarrassing moment was not that she was an unwed pregnant teenager. And and her most embarrassing moment was not that her son was run out of town when he was 30 years old uh, after after opening the the scroll of Isaiah in in the synagogue in Nazareth. Um, that was not that, that was not her most embarrassing. Those were embarrassing moments, but that was not her most embarrassing moment. Her most embarrassing moment was her was her son hanging naked on a cross, dying as a criminal under Roman rule, rejected by the Jews. That was Mary's most embarrassing public moment. And Jesus redeemed it. How can we not only allow Jesus to redeem that which embarrasses us in this life, but how can we be agents of that redemption in the lives of others? Matthew Hawkins is up next. He and I are going to talk about uh, things going on around the world and right here in America related to the intersection of what I will describe as faith and politics. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining me now, he's not a Washington native, but I think he wishes he were, Matthew Hawkins, former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. I just describe him now as a public theologian. Um, let me just admit to you, Matt, I don't even know. Did the Nats win? They did not. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. They lost to well, New York. Redemption is possible. But it doesn't matter, Carmen. It's opening day. It was opening day yesterday. It's good news for 2020. The Nats are back. The Nats are back. Of- Regardless of their loss last night, the Nats continue to be the reigning World Series champions and will be the only reigning World Series champions without an asterisk for another year. It's That's a true. beautiful thing. That's true. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, so I heard a question posed yesterday to yeah. an individual uh, by an individual who did not know how to pronounce the uh, did not know how to pronounce Uyghur. So let's just start there. Sure. But there's just a lot yeah. of people who don't even know who we're talking about when we right. I mean, you and I talk about it frequently. And so we feel like this is a word that people should know by sure. now. It's a group of people that people should recognize as a people group. People should know what's happening to them. But the question that was yes. posed, um, Matt, was uh, was interesting. She said um, I she was repeating something that she had heard someone else say. And, and they had observed that, um, uh, you know, had we li- had we been living um, when the Nazis were seeking to exterminate the Jews, yeah. you know, we, we we hope we would have done something. And yes. and then she said um, that, you know, a lot of people are saying this is like that. Yeah. Um, and let me let me first state that uh, as someone who's worked in the ethics world, um, I am not one to fly the the Hitler Nazi card on modern day issues um, frequently. Uh, typically when that happens, uh, someone's losing a debate, <laughs> right. Mm. Or, or, or about to. Um, so I don't, I don't, uh, I, number one, I agree. 
Um, at, at the same time, I, I don't, I want to make sure that we're not flippant with that, uh, comparison, uh, because it is now it looks different. It is more high tech, but it is as intentional and it is as racist and it is as, um, uh, religious, uh, is as much of a uh, religious persecution issue as, um, as the Nazis. Um, so Uyghurs, it's spelled I in the English, it's spelled I, I'm sorry, U I G H U R Uyghur. Uh, so it's a, a U I G sound there. Um, they are basically, um, what I would describe as ethnically Asian Muslims. Okay. So you're thinking, uh, it's kind of like Western China and kind of Eastern, uh, you know, former Soviet bloc places. Uh, so they're kind of, a lot of them are ethnically Kazakh. So from Kazakhstan, um, but a lot of them live in China and they've been persecuted by China for many, many years. Um, but in recent years, that persecution has turned to an overt and I'm, you know, without apologies, uh, turned to a genocide. Um, there's lots of ways to define genocide, but part of the key factor of it, of any kind of a genocide, uh, the definition is you're trying to erase a people and what China is doing while they are not exterminating them that we know about, uh, at least not in the numbers, say the, the Nazis were trying to exterminate the Jews. They are trying to erase their culture. Um, they are, uh, forcibly sterilizing Uyghur women. Um, they have at least one estimates range from at least 1 million to may, possibly upwards of 3 million people detained in re-education camps. And there are in the last six to nine months. And frankly, you know, a few years ago, you know, I was you're kind of skeptical when reports of this dramatic start rolling out. Um, but the last six to nine months, I think, uh, this stuff is becoming really well documented, um, by really credible agencies, uh, working in the space. And, you know, what we do about it, uh, is a, is a separate question, uh, because it, it's wrapped up in China's influence in the world, um, right now. And their, um, their strength certainly on the Eastern hemisphere, in the South Pacific. Um, and so as they are, as they continue to be a, um, a economic and military heavyweight, uh, doing something at all, uh, for the sake of, uh, persecuted, um, population, um, for which they're committing genocide on, uh, it gets more and more difficult. Um, and, but we need to first start as Christians to recognize this is, this boils down to a love your neighbor situation. Um, it, it doesn't get any more basic than that. When a people group, uh, even though they don't look like us, they don't believe the same things as us, when they're being uh, systematically persecuted um, and tracked, uh, part of this thing is there's a, the surveillance state of China on this uh, range uh, is pretty staggering. Um, that's a problem. And our hearts ought to break for those people. And I want to be supportive of what our State Department is doing, um, and we want to continue to stay focused on this. We want to be prayerful. We also want to be, um, you know, supportive of what the U.S. government is seeking to do. Uh, and then we want to be supportive of ministries that have any access whatsoever to this part of the world um, and uh, and pray God's redemption in this in this situation and, and scenario. And yeah. um, so thank you. Thank you, Matt. Hey, let's take yeah. a very brief and break. Let, when let, we, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. 
No, go ahead. I just want to throw in a quick fact to underscore the point. Um, in, in, the, in, the, in three years, from 2015 to 2018, the population growth rate in the Uyghur land plummeted by 84%. Dropped. Mm. The population growth dropped 84%. That's absolutely staggering. China is trying to erase these people. Yeah, and if you if you if you don't kill the current generation, but you eliminate the possibility of them having a next generation, you have committed genocide. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Matt, thank you for adding that. All right, Matt Hawkins and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the American moment in which we uh, are living. Uh, Matt has co-authored an op-ed on racism. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, posted at the One America Movement blog, which I have just tweeted out. If you don't follow me on Twitter, please do. I'm at Carmen LeBurge. Thank you. My guest is Matt Hawkins. You can find him at MT Hawk. Um, racism is a sin. Here's what we do about it. Um, this is by Matthew Hawkins and Leslie Copeland Toon. Matt, what's the argument you guys are making here? Sure. Um, well, a little bit of backstory. Leslie and I both sit on the board of uh, this organization, a uh, young organization called One America Movement. And basically what One America Movement is, uh, it's concerned about what we see as toxic polarization. That means our society is tre- on a trend line where the polarization is getting worse um, and actually uh, will will begin to cause more risks in, in society than, than we see now. Uh, but there are ways to combat that. And uh, One America Movement has partnered uh, with a really, what I really think is a unique combination of um, strategies uh, based on basically brain science, how how we respond to conflict um, and each other when we're we're talking about uh, something we disagree about, and uh, strategizing with religious leaders. And so, uh, One America is a diverse, uh, religiously diverse, ethnically diverse organization, and they do trainings, uh, a lot for religious leaders and they do partnerships between, uh, different communities that otherwise wouldn't, uh, really talk to one another all that much. So they have a really unique, um, really unique strategy and I'm, I'm pleased to be a part of it. And part of their strategy is, for example, uh, bringing together, um, uh, Christians that I know, uh, and Muslims and Jews, um, uh, to assist with the, um, opioid crisis in West Virginia. Um, they help, uh, disparate different groups, uh, uh, people of different races, uh, come together in Charlottesville, uh, to, to, to uh, work on race issues. And so what you have is, uh, a situation where they're trying to bring people from across, uh, social divides, uh, religious, ethnic, political, and, uh, help them collaborate on something in their community. Um, that brings about uh, trust and understanding um, and, and all kinds of good things that we really need in our nation uh, right now. So that's a little bit of the backstory. And then uh, once um, once this recent, um, uh, you know, uh, once the protest and the civil unrest sparked by uh, the George Floyd death and the death of many other um, unarmed black uh, Americans, um, we decided we wanted to write something. Um, and part of the part of the effort in writing it is not even so much the words, but the fact that someone like her and someone that like I, me, uh, would collaborate 
to do something together and say the same thing. And so my friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Leslie Copeland-Toon, uh, she's the chief operating officer of the National Council of Churches. She's an ordained minister affiliated with the Progressive National Baptist and the American Baptist Churches USA. And so we're different on a number of different levels. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a basic uh, white evangelical male uh, living in the American South, and uh, and Leslie is an ordained uh, minister, African American, um, and she is lit- religiously and um, uh, somewhat, I guess, pro- um, politically progressive, and I'm pol- I'm politically conservative, and so um, we thought it would be helpful. We hope. Uh, for us to co-author this piece. And so um, that's kind of uh, the backstory of the article. Um, I think our title may have (laughs) oversold it a little bit. Uh, It said, here's what we do about racism. Uh, It might be, here's here's a place to begin about racism. Um, And one of the things that really struck me is that uh, Leslie's family lives in the same Maryland County where my parents were born and raised. It's a place where my grandfather retired as a police major. Um, and we have really fond memories of that area. My parents obviously do. And, uh, yet my experience growing up, um, I grew up in West Virginia, but my parents were in, uh, in, grew up in, in, in Maryland. And, uh, my experience growing up is very different than that of Leslie's families. And one of those, one of those experiences is my interaction versus the interaction of Leslie's family. Um, with police. Um, one of the stories she tells is, uh, one of her sons who was a teenager at the time, uh, was walking from the subway stop, um, in a DC area place. And he, it began raining. And so he put his hoodie up. Well, mm-hmm. for that action of putting his hoodie up, he began to be followed by a police cruiser, not doing anything wrong. Um, minding his own business, not behavior related. Um, and yet that's a fearful situation for a young Mm -hmm. man. Um, and that kind of experience, um, I have learned over the past few years is extremely, and I'm sorry, too common, um, among my African American friends. Um, nothing like that has ever happened to me in my life. I've been followed by police just cause, um, that's just one example of where we're trying to um, some distinctions and, and highlight some of these differences that um, really can only be addressed by uh, collaboration, and I think uh, helpful collaboration at the local, at the local level. So that's a, a little bit of a taste of that piece. So yeah, so one of the things I appreciated um, about uh, about the piece is that you guys acknowledge and you openly acknowledge the problem. You invite us to not only be aware but to cultivate real empathy, and that is you know based on relationships. Um, to deal mm-hmm. with the reality that this, um, it's not like this is a part of the past, that this is um, right. a present reality, and it's a present reality for the church, and that solutions exist. I think that that is, you know, that's the hopeful yeah. part of this. Um, and then, you know, you really do turn to the to the issue that Christians need to step forward and Christian leaders need to lead. Like, there needs to be leadership yeah. that is offered on this. And so just really, um, I just want to lift that up. And again, you guys can find it at oneamericamovement.com. Uh, hopefully I have dot that. Org, I think. Oh, dot org. See, mine mine dot, pops dot up org. as oneamericamovement.wordpress.com, but that's because it's the blog. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I know. It's the reader site. I got it. They've been working on some some IT uh, transitions. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. We like that we had that there's new new organizations and uh, it's fun. All right. Yes. It's one. Now that I'm typing it into my, uh, you know, my little Googler, one America movement.org. It's a a great, it's a great starting point. And um, uh, these are conversations that we need to have. I'm glad that there are new constellations of believers coming together and and across um, not only racial and ethnic divisions, but across uh, religious divisions in this country. Like we have to be able to talk to each other if we're going to come up with solutions that actually work for us um, as one nation. So thank you. uh, Thank you, Matt Hawkins. As always, we did not get to our third topic today, but um, it's one that will hold. No worries. Thanks, man. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. We'll be right back. (laughs) All right. There's there's all kinds of things that we could talk about today related to media and social media. Um, I am specifically going to talk with Chris Martin up next from Lifeway Social about um, his family's experience of food delivery apps because this is a good story um and his local experience of uh this little neighborhood app called next door and uh he's got a neighbor who posts a daily blog on next door and i just want to talk about some of the redemptive opportunities in social media today that's up next here on mornings with carmen all right we're literally today's the last day uh, to jump on the Mornings with Carmen survey. So if you're a listener, we really do want you to participate. And so you can text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Or visit myfaithradio.com backslash survey. Or you can just click on it. It's a big, like, it's a big thing on the right-hand side of the screen today. Uh, Today's your last day. So if you're one of those people, you wait till the last minute for everything, well, this is the last minute. Go ahead and fill out the Mornings with Carmen survey today at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Is your teen a low achiever? Maybe he doesn't make the grades you'd like or never remembers to do his chores around the house. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. There are certain situations in the home where I'm in favor of offering rewards for accomplishments. Now, I'm not saying you should have a performance-based relationship where you retract love when your child makes a mistake. Instead, I'm advocating a little motivation for your teen. Chances are you know what your child wants. You also know his areas of underachievement. So connect the two. Offer financial rewards for meeting goals. You might as well take what you'd give at birthdays and Christmas and spread it out over 12 months. Motivate your underachiever. Join Mark for a virtual Families in Crisis retreat on Zoom beginning Thursday night, July 30. To register, go to FamilyCrisisRetreat.com. Baseball season's underway. All right, joining me now, Chris Martin, Cubs fan. I think. I think that's why we're playing that. I assume. Am I making that up? He's also uh, Lifeway's social media guru. I don't know. Guru, probably not on his business card. Chris, welcome back. 
Hey, yeah, I am a Cubs fan. Uh, if, if this was a video radio show, which I guess would kind of negate the radio radio <laughs> portion, uh, you'd be able to see all of the and Cubs require paraphern- me to be in something other than my pajamas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the uh, you'd see all the Cubs paraphernalia in my office, in my home office. It uh, it is frequent oh. conversation starters for the uh, innumerable Zoom meetings that I'm on lately. So yes, I'm a Cubs fan, and I'm incredibly excited for uh- baseball to be back. So I was on a Zoom call yesterday, and um, the the person, you know, sort of the highlighted individual on the Zoom call, like why everybody else is on the call, right? Because that person's on the call. And he identified one of the dozens of people on the call as if we had one of these awards to give out about, like, what's in the background, that guy would have won. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I, I clearly <laughs> need to work on my background. Like, what's behind you apparently, like, super duper matters now. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. All right. Well, yours would be cub themed. That's good to know. Um, All right. I would like to start off with um, a surprise topic that I just learned this morning would be interesting to talk with you about by scrolling your Twitter feed. And that is your family's experience of food delivery apps. Um, You know, you've got a new baby in the house. You got lots of gift cards. And some of those gift cards were for food delivery apps. Talk with us about your experience, because my guess is you're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. So I last night we uh, we have so we we had our daughter in, in April and we had a number of friends who given, you know, the situation, the, the fact that we were, we were having a child at the first height of this pandemic. Um, a lot of folks just gave us gift cards for food rather than bringing food over, which is great. And it's been fine. And it's been really good to get takeout and things like that. Well, we had, um, about 40 bucks, 45 bucks left on one of the, uh, food delivery, one of the popular food delivery apps, and um, we decided. Right, hey, and let's we're not order. we're not going to necessarily name one, but just so that I can give people some texture and context, because not everybody yeah. knows what we're talking about. I'm sure. just going to throw out a list: Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, yep. Instacart, uh, GoPuff, Correct. Chow Now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those, and um, my wife said, "Hey, let's get let's use that last bit of gift card money we have and and get some wings for the opening day baseball tonight." I said, <gasps> hey, that sounds fun. Great. Yeah. So um, we've been kind of looking to use this last gift card for a while because because our experience with this service has just been so negative. It's like I just want to use the gift card to to rid myself of the obligation to use this. So I was like, yeah, I've been looking for a reason to use it anyway. So we we did it and we ordered some wings from a local wing place. And um, I, I placed the order at like three thirty to for. And I, cause you can pick like any time throughout the day. And I was like, all right, well let's have them delivered at six 15. The game starts at like six. And so we'll have them. And even if they're a little late or early, that's fine. Uh, and throughout our time, we probably placed 10 orders through these different, we had gift cards for a couple of these apps and we, we, we probably placed 10 orders throughout the course of our, you know, post uh, birth of our child that we've had these gift cards. And every time something has been wrong, whether they uh, there's and I don't know that it's necessarily the the delivery driver's fault. It could be the restaurant's fault. It's just like it's almost like at first it was frustrating. The first two or three times it was like, oh, come on, because there's the reason it's frustrating is there's literally nothing you can do. Right. Like you <laughs> placed an order on the app and then the food's made and then it's delivered to you by a stranger and there's no way you can like (laughs) fix that. And so one time, you know, we didn't have, we didn't get something we wanted. The other time something was totally wrong. The other time the food came an hour early last night, the food came an hour late. Uh, So it's just like, it's every time it almost has become a recurring joke. What's going to be wrong this time. And uh, now 
we we're out of our funds and I, until maybe we have child number two and we get more gift cards, <laughs> I will not I will be deleting the apps from my phone. <laughs> so they don't even come to where I live. We've discovered that. Um, and uh, and then I have learned and I will just pass this forward to you. Um, if you receive the gift card like over your email or over your text message, which is the way these seem to be delivered now, you can then just re-gift it, which has uh-huh. been my approach. I have re-gifted my food app delivery gift cards. I have just re-gifted them to other people who live closer to like right. the center of life so that they, ha- they have a potentially better experience than I would certainly have where I live. So there you go. Just a pay it forward sure. idea. All right. Talk with us about um, – um, so Nextdoor, uh, I don't even know if that's just the full name of the, uh, of the social app or not. Um, but, like, I have, like, Next Door Kings and Springs. That's our little thing. So maybe that's the kind of thing that you have. Um, you posted that you have a neighbor who does a, who's been doing a daily blog on your little group's next door um, as if he's a pirate captain. And I felt like I needed more information about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Nextdoor is a neighborhood-based social media app. If you, if listeners have never heard of it before, neighborhood and or region, depending on Carmen. I believe you live in a more rural area of Tennessee. I live in a very suburban area of Tennessee. So yours might be more in your kind of region, like you said, Kingston Springs, a more rural area. Mine is like a group of neighborhoods within a two mile-ish radius of my house, and mm-hmm. so. Um, I never, I virtually never go on the app or on the website unless it's really helpful if like your internet goes out and you, or need you to have ask, a lost dog. Right. And you need to ask Perfect. your neighbors like, Hey, uh, my internet's out. Is anyone else's internet out? You know, cause it's often hard to discern if that's a you problem or a regional problem. And so it's really helpful for things like that, but I rarely use it. However, I do get the, the like, here's what you've been missing on next door emails from time to time. And, uh, recently as I've kind of just like clicked those to see if there's anything I should be <clears throat> paying attention to, I've seen that a neighbor who I believe is a retired military veteran, what I've gathered, I've not really done a deep dive into this guy's post, though I probably should, uh, has been doing a sort of daily blog uh, called uh, From the Porch, I think it's called. And uh, he he always writes in the tone of a, of a uh, uh, pirate captain. So let me see if I can find one of the posts. It's it is so funny. He is he has complained. Apparently, some people um, some people don't like his political views. So uh, they have reported his posts, and somehow he his posts will get deleted. So he says, "Avast and ahoy, mates! The old chief coasty here with you from the porch on Turtle Rock's lake." It is a zero turtle day on Great Turtle Rock and Lesser Turtle Rock, but it was a two turtle day on Turtle Rock's lake. I mentioned yesterday that I seem to have lost my fine feathered friends. And then he goes on to give us an, I think an animal report of the pond near his house. So, uh, yes. So this his name is less and he looks like he lives a couple miles away. Um, and, uh, and he, he ends it with a, with a call to prayer. And, uh, yeah, he just, it's just kind of the, the daily, um, daily ramblings of, I believe a, a retired military veteran. And, and it looks like he gets some pretty good comments on it and stuff. So people tend to like it. I love it. And now um, people all across the country and around the world know about Les, the sort of pirate captain of uh, Turtle Lake. 
Yes. And his report from the front porch on next door. All right. We are. Those are some positive ways to use social media. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask Chris Martin about something a little bit dark, and that's the privacy threat of TikTok. Um, And then we're also going to talk about, well, if we get to another topic, it will be the hacking of Twitter. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Chris Martin from Lifeway Social. Chris, I want to talk about um, the privacy threat of uh, of TikTok. Yeah, so a lot of folks are up in arms about TikTok, which is the hottest app, uh, hottest social media platform and app uh, in in ten years, not quite ten years, eight years since Instagram really um, even hot. It's it's burning brighter and hotter than Snapchat really ever did. Uh, it's if you don't know what it is, it's a lot like Vine, which is the old six second video app made by the creators of Twi- of of uh, Twitter, which kind of died because it couldn't monetize. So TikTok is. Uh, you've certainly seen, even if you just, if, even if your knowledge of social media is from the clips that are shown on morning shows like Good Morning America or something like that, um, you you know that TikTok is a hit among young people, and some families are getting into it in in quarantine and stuff. So, um, problem is, it's owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, and so a lot of folks are really nervous about TikTok because it's owned by a Chinese company who could theoretically. Um, be harvesting the data of everyone using it, particularly American teens. That that sounds – it's a particularly sensitive group of people. You don't necessarily want a foreign government, especially a foreign government who has human rights uh, issues, uh, to put it lightly, uh, harvesting data on our young people. Uh, and so and, – and the extent to which they're harvesting data is, is kind of a black box. It's hard to know. Um, however, I do want to pump the brakes on this. Um, I, I don't have I've tinkered with TikTok in the past, especially given the nature of my work. And I think a lot of the I love seeing the content from TikTok. I think it's incredibly creative. The level of creativity on the platform is very high. Um, and but I often watch them watch those TikToks on when I when they come across to Twitter or something like that, because I am too nervous about the privacy uh, the privacy issues around TikTok. However, I also don't have the Facebook app on my phone for the same reason. Um Facebook has 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 had privacy issues throughout its tenure. And so I think a lot of folks are uh, afraid of TikTok privacy because they're afraid of some shadowy foreign government who has human rights issues like China getting access to their data. And I would say that um, the problem, the, the fears, the privacy fears we have around TikTok we ought to have the same fears around Facebook. Uh, Facebook has has clearly proven in their track record to do pretty nefarious things with our data, but they're not owned by a foreign government. They're an American capitalist cornerstone. So I think, um, I think, yeah, we should be concerned about TikTok privacy, uh, but not because they're owned by China or a Chinese company, so much as uh, because they're a social media platform that makes money off of harvesting user data, just like Facebook, just like Instagram. Um, so yeah, I think let's be concerned about TikTok privacy. Let's be equally concerned about Facebook privacy and Instagram privacy, uh, which aren't exempt just because they're not owned by a company that may be beholden to the Chinese government. One of the words that you used um, early um, was, you know, monetization or how something is monetized or how people get paid. Um, I'm reading here that TikTok has created a $2 million fund it's going to use to retain its top users and attract new ones. 
Um, so that's they're going to start paying at least some people to produce content on TikTok. I find that interesting. Um, let's uh, can we talk about one more topic? And I know I didn't tee this up for today, but I know you're an expert in it because you use it. And that is Substack. Um, yeah. And the reason that I bring it up today, uh, Chris, is um, lots of my favorite writers, like those leaving, let's say, the New York Times or leaving other platforms because of sort of the cancel culture of the day. They are now on Substack, and it seems like it's a platform that makes it really easy for me as a reader to pay writers I like to write. Is that essentially what Substack is? And, um, you know, what what are the – does it matter if the person that I want to follow in their newsletter is on Substack or some other platform, or this is just now the, the best one for people who want to do that? Sure. So Substack, to give a very brief overview, is it's a way for someone to create a newsletter uh, where they can either provide the newsletter for free via like a subscription service or they can um, – there's like a built-in paywall function so that if – like for me, I it, I think it's the next evolution of the, the blog. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. the blog is going away. I don't think this is going to replace the blog, but I do think it's the next evolution of the blog. In fact, I was talking with my – friend Tim Challies, who's like the mm-hmm. who's like one of the biggest Christian bloggers in the world. We were talking about the effect that this could have on the Christian blogging space. And I moved my blog to Substack because I wanted to start being able to charge for some of my more valuable content because I think it's worth charging for. And also I want to be able to um, hold myself accountable to people who I feel like are my bosses, the people paying me to write, who are who are invested enough in my content and think it's valuable that they'll pay for it. Um, and I like it too. The other reason Substack is, is valuable is it's like me writing a, a twice weekly newspaper column virtually uh, that people are paying five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year to subscribe to. And I don't then have I don't feel the obligation to as I work in social media, but I don't like the obligation to share everything I write to Twitter or to Facebook because I know that that can get kind of cumbersome for both my followers and me. Um, So because Substack, when I write something, it just goes directly to the inboxes of the people who want to see it. I don't have to worry about like, okay, I got to schedule three tweets to point people to this blog post and da, 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 da. I'd rather have like a smaller 15, 30, 50 people who are receiving my twice weekly blog post via email who are really invested monetarily or, or else or otherwise, rather than Monday, I got 70 viewers or Tuesday, I got 150 viewers, you know, like that. it just kind of, it feels like you're writing for a dedicated audience via Substack rather than just writing something on the internet and throwing it out into the wind and hoping someone else catches it. If somebody wanted to move their content or offer their content through Substack, um, is that easy to do? Yeah, moving content I think would be difficult. I did not try to move content. That might you know just if you new, have two new years, created content. Yeah, yep. You yeah. just go to Substack.com. It's it's totally free. So um, cool. if yeah, it's great. I love it. All right. Well, there you go. A little uh, little shout out for something that is new to some of us, not new to others. Um, but you are going to see some of the people who maybe you like to read, like uh, Andrew Sullivan, David French, Jonah Goldberg, Stephen Hayes, uh, Chris Martin, who tweets at Chris Martin 17. Um, but you should just, I don't know, go get his newsletter on Substack. That sounds like a good idea. Hey, Chris, thank you so much, as always. Yeah, you too. Have a good weekend. You too. We'll be right back.
Okay, so one of the things that um, I did during the summers when I was growing up was played softball. And uh, during this portion of the summer, I would have been ordinarily uh, playing on an all-star team from Tampa Bay Little League. Um, and we would have been, you know, traveling around and playing teams from other uh, from other places. I kind of am sad. Well, I am sad that kids are missing so many of the things this summer that traditionally have happened in the past. And so I'm I'm wondering what kinds of uh, creative things you're employing to either create new fun uh, options and opportunities. I know that in our little extended family, there's going to be cousin camp next week for the under six crowd. Uh, cousin camp um, is uh, is going to be fun. Um, kids didn't get to go do anything this summer. They didn't get to go to VBS. They didn't certainly get to go any any other kind of camps. Um, and yet, uh, I will tell you that in my area, fencing camp, like uh, teenagers are jumping into fencing camp. Why? Well, it's already socially distanced, and you already wear a mask. There you go. So find um, find some ways to help your kids and help kids in your community get out, uh, even though we have to do so in ways that are socially distanced. The numbers continue to climb with the coronavirus Let us be safe. Uh, Let us all be wearing masks. Let us all be practicing social distancing, all of those really good things. That'll be my PSA for today. Get into the word of God before you get out there into the world that he so loves. Um, And bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. That is my hope and goal and encouragement to each and every one of us on this day. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to talk about the Statue of Liberty, which was struck by lightning on Wednesday. That's kind of uh, fun and different. Uh, not fun. But anyway, Adam Holtz will be here from Plugged In. We're going to talk about media. And then I've got Seth and Nerva ready. Um, they are an, uh, an, an interracial couple. They're Christians. They're musicians. We're going to talk about the culture and the climate and the conversation we all need to be having today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.